0: After Moses died, God gave Joshua the job of leading the Israelites. The first thing he did was send spies into Jericho, a city Israel was about to invade. While they were there, the two spies hid in the home of a woman named Rahab, who was a prostitute. That day, the king of Jericho heard about the spies, but Rahab hid the two spies on her roof and told the king's messengers that the spies had already left, and she didn't know where they were. Then, when it was safe, she lowered the men down to the ground using a rope. Days later, Joshua led his army to the city of Jericho. They marched around the walls of the city for seven days. Then, on the seventh day, they marched around the wall seven times, blew their trumpets, and let out a loud shout. When they did, the walls of the city completely collapsed and Israel's army charged in and conquered the city. They burned the city to the ground and killed every man, woman, child and animal in the city, except for Rahab and her family. For years, Joshua and the Israelites marched through the Promised Land, defeating their enemies, killing every living thing in each city and dedicating their victories to God. Eventually, the Israelites took control of much of the promised land. Finally, when he was very old, Joshua gathered all of the leaders of Israel around him. Just like Moses did, he reminded everyone of all the things God had done for them. Then, he placed a large stone under an oak tree as a reminder to all to follow the laws of God.
1: great story. If you're here with us this morning, we're on a journey, a 31-week journey where we're going through all or most of the Bible. In fact, if you follow along with the readings each week, by the end of this journey, you will have read 70% of the Bible. You will have grown in your faith. Your heart will enlarge when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. Where where we left off last week, the nation had come to the promised land, the land that God had promised the nation through Abraham. So there was was great excitement, but there was also great concern. And what we saw last week is that fear overwhelmed faith. And the people just could not take that step of faith. They couldn't obey God and to go into the promised land because they were not a military power and They looked and they saw the military greatness of the nations that were already in the land of Canaan. And so God sent them on a journey. It would be a 40-year journey in the wilderness. Now, you've heard me talk a little bit about the upper story and the lower story. The upper story is what God is doing. Often, in the moment, we don't understand what that is. We don't understand that story in the moment. The lower story is what the people of God are experiencing. And I'm sure when the nation was sent out for 40 years into the wilderness, an entire generation living in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness, I'm sure there was a lot of questions, has God forgotten us? Does God not love us? Is God not going to fulfill his promise of taking us to the promised land? Have you ever asked those questions? Maybe you've been sick and it's your health that you struggle with. Maybe it's a relational struggle. Maybe it's an academic struggle. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a financial struggle. And you wonder, God, what are you doing? Where are you in the midst of this? Here's what we know as we go through this journey of Scripture God has not left you, God is present. And God will uh, do whatever. He can do whatever he will do in the midst of your challenges and your struggles. In fact, God will do an amazing work. God will transform you if you let him. And so for 40 years, the nation would wander in the wilderness. But here was the reality. God was guiding them each and every day and each and every night. God was feeding the people, providing manna from heaven. God was providing water for the people and more importantly God was providing his presence for the people if you are here this morning and you're wondering God where are you in the midst of my crisis let me tell you this God promised his followers he promised us this he would never leave you he would never forsake you he is present regardless of whether you feel him or not And as you have heard me say many times, you cannot judge, you cannot judge God by your circumstances. You can only judge your circumstances by what you know is eternally true about God. And we learn this as we take this journey through the scriptures. And now we come, the nation, God has led the nation back to the promised land. They're now on the brink of entering the promised land. But the people have learned valuable lessons about faith. They have now learned that God indeed is with them. They have learned that God indeed can be trusted. They learned that God indeed will provide for his people. They learned that through the hardship of the 40 years in the wilderness. I've got to tell you, friends, that the great lessons of life that I have learned has not been when life has been going the way i wanted to go but it's been when i have gone through the through the valley when i have struggled when i have hurt when i have questioned when i have wondered and god comes to me in the midst of that and he builds my faith and he builds my character and he draws me close to himself and then when i come out of that valley i'm different I'm different. I've learned, I've grown. I trust the Lord more. And it's a beautiful thing that God does. You may be in the valley today. You may be struggling today. But I want to say to you, be strong and very courageous. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He will use every circumstance in your life for his glory to make you more the person that he intended you to be when he created you. Sin has distorted you, and God is setting you free. This morning, what we're going to see is that Joshua has become the leader of the nation. And we're going to look this morning at the book of Joshua. And as we go through this, we're going to see so many lessons. There's so much we could talk about. But the reality is, we have one sermon on Joshua, And so I want to just give you some highlights that that I see as I read through Joshua. A year from now I could preach the same passages and it would be a completely different sermon. Because there is so much to learn and so much to see in every scripture that we're looking at. But here's what I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the battle begins as God is leading his people... Into take possession of that which he has already promised. We're gonna be looking this morning at three secrets of successful life. Now, it's in quotes because here's what I want you to hear. Please hear this. Successful is not as the world defines successful. We're not talking about worldly wealth, we're not talking about worldly fame, we're not talking about Whatever it is that our world defines as success, career advancement, we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about becoming everything God intended when he created us. We're talking about a progressive life of being progressively set free from the sin that entangles us. We're talking about learning how to love God and put our full trust in God and how to love one another and how to even love ourselves in a way that is healthy, in a way that, that, that shows the image of God that has been stamped upon us, humility and servanthood. God has called us to live lives that are amazing and incredible, that can make an eternal impact, an eternal difference. But that requires faith. That requires trust in God. That requires allowing the Lord to empower us, to lead us, to guide us as we follow in obedience. And so, friends, here are three secrets that we learned from the book of Joshua to what I like to call biblical success, biblical joy, biblical peace. You know, I have known many people over the years that have had all the things that the world calls successful. If you read um, and you like to stay up on current events, you often find that people that are wealthy and famous have less joy and less peace than people who have very little in this world. It's not about what the, how the world defines success. It's about understanding who we are in light of eternity. It's about knowing God and growing in him in such a way, in such a way that we live a life that is marked by courage and boldness in obedience to the one who has created us and saved us and has called us his children. Amen? Man, that's what I get excited about. And so what are those three secrets? Here's the first one. It is be committed to the word of God. Being committed to the Bible. Friends, I want you to know this about me if you don't know it already. I love this book. I believe this is the word of God. I believe it's applicable for my life. Now, I don't understand everything in it. I seek to be a student and to grow and to continually learn. But God speaks to me through his word. He encourages me. He challenges me. He transforms me. He conforms me to the image of Jesus through this precious book. And we see here that some of the first words that God gives to Joshua when he becomes the leader of his people. What does he say to him he needs to do? He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. What a great statement. Now, what would it mean for Joshua to be successful? Well, it would mean that he would effectively lead the people of God to fulfill the call of God. That is the job of everybody who is a leader in the church of Jesus Christ, who is a leader in the kingdom of God. Our job is not to lead where we think the people should go. It is to be bold and courageous, knowing the word of God, living out the word of God, and calling the people to be everything that God has created them to be. I was thinking about it this week. I have a 2008 Toyota Camry, love this car. 220,000 miles, the engine's just breaking in. (laughs) This is my well-used owner's manual. Now, when I have a question about my car, I pull out, well, okay, I'm a product of my generation. Some of you are thinking, you don't use YouTube? I pull out my trusty book, And I look up the section, in fact, last time I was reading it, it was on do-it-yourself maintenance, which I'm not very good at, but I do give it a shot. My mechanic loves me because he makes a lot more money off me when I do it myself, but what has what this tells me is what kind of gas to put in my car, what kind of oil to put in my car. You know, the kind of viscosity of oil that I use in my car here is very different than I used in Michigan because of the cold weather in Michigan. So I use my book, and I look it up, and I say, oh, oh I'm supposed to use this. When diesel fuel was cheaper than unleaded fuel, get this, I didn't put diesel fuel in my car. You know Why? Because my manual, the people who made my car, they said only unleaded fuel. Now, what would happen if I put diesel fuel in my car? Well, I would save a little money on that gas tank, but I would pay a lot of money out here. This is the owner's manual. God made me. He knows best how I am to live. God created you. The path of peace is not the path of the world. The path of peace and joy is being what God has called you to be. And so sometimes in life, we think, oh, there's a shortcut. Oh, I can do this, and it'll make life easier for me. And what we don't understand is like putting diesel fuel in the tank, and before we know it, life is blown up. And we pay a great price on the other end. When my kids were growing up, what we taught our kids was obedience is the path to joy. It's the path to peace. It's not God wanting to be a killjoy and limit our fun. It's God wanting us to experience everything that he created us for. And so we at Cross Point Church, we are people of the word of God. And as leaders, we want to keep the word of God in front of us always. We all need to do that. Listen to what it says. Always on our lips. What does that mean? It means that we read it aloud. It means that we we speak it with one another. When was the last time, just verbally, you shared a Bible passage with somebody else because you knew they needed to hear that word in their life today? Today. It says that we should always have it. It's we should always meditate on it. How long often? What does it say? Meditate on it, what? Day. Day and night. That means we should continually read the Word of God, be in the Word of God. What commitment have you made to learn the Word of God? Now to meditate simply means to focus, to focus our attention. How many of you have ever worried before? Anybody? Okay. You know how to meditate then, because that's what worry is. We, we meditate, over-meditate on a fear, now we're anxious. That's what, that's what meditation is. So rather than meditating on the word, we want to meditate on the great God that we know, who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. Who we trust eternally, even when we don't understand. So we meditate on the word. We think deeply about what it means. And then what does he say? God says, and then be careful to do everything that is written in it. Obey it. Don't just be hearers of the word. Don't be just readers of the word. But do what it says. It's the path of peace. It's the path of joy. It's the path of eternal impact wow. Here's the second thing I want you to see. and um, oh, Just this passage, just mark it down. I'm not going to say too much about it. This is toward the end of Joshua. Here's what happens. They didn't obey God. See, they were supposed to drive all the people out of the land, and I'm going to close by explaining why. But they were supposed to drive everybody out of the land, but they didn't obey that command. And so what does he say? He says here, That these people who are still in the land will become, oh boy, my eyes, snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord God has given you. They didn't obey fully. They didn't obey. And as you read on in this story, as we continue in the weeks ahead, you're going to see that because they didn't obey the Lord, it's going to create all sorts of havoc for the people who live in the land. For God's people, friends, when we don't obey, we're saying to the God who made us that we know better than He does. Reminds me of my my kids when they were toddlers; they were so much smarter than Beth and me, or so they thought. They always thought they knew better than us. We want candy; we don't want vegetables. We want this. We want that. I, I think I shared this story before, but I love this story. My son, who's a very good athlete, I was teaching him. He was about two and a half years old. Teach him how to hit a baseball. So I got him up there. Here's the plate. Got him up there. Got the elbow up. Oh, he looked good. Turned around to pitch the ball, and I look, and he's now like this with his bat. So I show him again. He's like this with his bat. So I taught him a lesson. I drilled him in the forehead. <laughs> so I didn't do that. Okay. Second, he says, be committed to worship. Now, what is worship? Worship is giving God our very best in everything. Because we love him. That's all. That's what it is. I mean, it, just to break it down, that's what it is. I give my best... When I worship God with you I give my best when I open my heart to the Lord during throughout the week I give my best when I live my life even when I make mistakes This is an amazing passage What had happened was the nation had been victorious and they come to this small little nation little people group called AI and AI the people of AI are not that powerful not that scary so they don't even they don't, they don't consult the Lord. They don't send their whole army. They just send part of their army. I mean, this is, they're just nothing. They're just little ants to be stamped out, right, stomped out. So what do they do? They go, and they're completely defeated. They're defeated. And they come back, and now everybody's confused. What has happened? And they consult the Lord, and the Lord says, there is sin in the camp. And long story short, there was a man named Achan who, a warrior who had disobeyed the Lord by taking some of the bounty from a previous victory for himself. And he hid it. And they weren't supposed to do that. And so they were, they lost the battle because Achan was disobedient. Sin in the body can affect the entire body. And so what happens is they deal with Achan Then they go into battle against Ai again, and they're victorious. So what does Joshua do? Here we see. He builds an altar to the Lord on Mount Ebal. He stops to worship the Lord. I was thinking about this in my life. And I think there are a lot of people who have a tendency to just look to the Lord when life is hard... And then, when life is good, they just kind of ignore him. Now, there are other people, as we'll see in a moment, who are opposite, but I think a lot of people, and I've seen this over the years, and I can do this. Something great happens in my life, and I'm excited about it, a victory in my life, and I just, wow, this is great! And off I go. Joshua stops, and he builds an altar to the Lord. Why? To give him thanks and to give him praise. And the nation pauses to give glory to God. When that promotion comes, when that friend, that relationship is reconciled, when when that cancer is no longer an issue, when you have a great day, something happens and it's just something wonderful happens, Do you build an altar to the Lord? Not literally, but figuratively. Do you stop? And if you have a family, do you stop as a family and say, hey, let's give God the praise. It's not that I was so smart that they finally saw how good I was and they promoted me. It's God opened a door. And we give him praise and thanksgiving for what he's done. You see, thanksgiving isn't something we do every November. Thanksgiving is the heart that we live with every day as Christians. We build that altar day after day after day, that altar of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Look what he has done. He's given us another day. He's provided in surprising ways, ways we didn't expect and didn't anticipate. God, thank you, for we know that every good gift comes from you worship. And here's the third one. The third one is be committed to courageous faith. This is one very famous, if you're not familiar with the Bible, a very famous passage. And here's what God says to Joshua at the beginning of his leadership. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, I can't imagine what Joshua went through, leading a group of two to three million people. Can you imagine that? Into battle, into things that are scary? Imagine the complaining and the, oh my goodness, I can't imagine it. Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Friends, if you want to live a life of faith, it takes courage Because God's going to ask you to do something that only he can do through you. Yes, he'll use your gifts. Yes, he'll use your talents. But ultimately, it's his power that accomplishes it. I can't lead somebody to Christ. Only God can lead somebody to Christ. Now, I can be the vessel that brings the message. But it's God who changes the heart. It's God who transforms the life. In the work that you do by faith, it is God who does it. And the nation, day after day, is having to face their fears and having to face their insecurities to do what God has called them to do. But here's what they see. God is victorious. And their faith just grows and grows and grows. But if they never go, they never grow. Met a couple yesterday, last night at our... Um, Fall Festival, a really wonderful young couple that took a bold step in their life uh, a number of years ago, and they went to Indonesia to teach Christian school. It came out of nowhere, it was fast, but you know what they said to me? We would have missed so much had we not gone. You see, when you take that step, when God calls, He changes you. And you you begin to see his power and his greatness because you're solely and completely dependent upon him. Some of you need to hear this today. Maybe you're going through a difficult season of life. Maybe you're being tempted to compromise God's best. And he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Now, why? Why are we to be strong and courageous? Why is it that we're not to be discouraged? Are you discouraged today? Why are we not to be discouraged? Here's what he says Because or for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen. That's all we need to know. God is going to be with us wherever we go. That's all we need to know. We're not alone. You're not alone. In your sickness, you're not alone. In your difficult finances, you're not alone. In your marriage, you're not alone. In your parenting, and God wants to lead and empower as we, by faith, lead by faith. A couple weeks ago, we hosted here at CrossPoint a gathering of of leaders in the in what's called our classes. It's our our denomination, our Christian Reformed church denomination, Jeff was there, and um, we had the privilege and the joy as your brothers and sisters saying, man, we believe that you are called, and we want you to be ordained. Um, and But they said something there that really startled me at first, but as I thought about it, I see it. Here's what they said. 50%, about 50% of pastors... People who have responded to the call of God. People who are leading in churches primarily. 50% of pastors are burned out today. Now, as we look at the last few years, we can see why. But here's the one that really surprised me. More than 50% on a recent survey said that they are ready to walk away from their call. I have talked to some of them. And I have said, be strong and very courageous. It is the Lord who has called you. You cannot measure whether you continue or not based upon circumstances. You can only measure whether you continue or not on whether God is still calling you to this this position. Be strong and very courageous. Now, I get it, man. It's been painful. It's been hard for people. Very hard. I have been blessed that I am among a group of people who love so well, who encourage so well. And my experience has been so different from so many others. In fact, sometimes I don't even share it because I don't want them to feel bad. I don't know where you are in your life. Be strong. Be courageous. Continue to live by faith. And then the next category, and I'll just say a couple things about this. Remember always, the battle belongs to the Lord. Whatever you're dealing with today, the battle belongs to the Lord. God, as we allow, will accomplish his purposes in your life, in my life, regardless of what we experience in life. The battle belongs to the Lord. Listen to what he says. He says, you yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all the nations for your sake. In other words, I look back and I remember all that God has done. And he has been so faithful, hasn't he? He has been so faithful. And then it says this. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. I want to say this to you this morning. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, what you read is this. Our battle. And I think a lot of Christians have lost sight of this. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against people. Our battle is against the powers of darkness that permeate every level of society. The Bible warns us of that. Government, politics, education, churches, Everything, businesses, corporate business, everything, entertainment. Our battle is against the demonic influences of our culture. And the way that we do battle, the two offensive weapons that we have been given, is the weapon of truth and the weapon of prayer. And the greatest way that we engage, yes, we speak, Yes, we are involved, but we are to be on our knees praying against the powers of ideologies that are negatively impacting this nation and this world. It's not just about battling people. They're not the issue. The issue is the power of darkness and demonic influence that has led us to where we are as a nation today. The battle belongs to the Lord. We won't be victorious on our own. We pray against these ideologies. We pray against these demonic influences that have so impacted our nation and our world. We pray against them and we engage and we are involved speaking truth into darkness. But the battle belongs to the Lord. Apart from God, we cannot change this nation. Apart from God, we cannot change this world. And we must always remember this. Yes, engage. Yes, be involved. Absolutely. But if you're not praying, if you're not praying, if you think that the church and, the, and, and Christian people can do it apart from God, you're wrong. It's only by the power of God that there will be change and transformation in a way that honors God and will be a blessing to the world. We must, we must be people of prayer. And finally, the Lord, um, this is a question, I'll close with this very quickly, but here's a question that always comes up. Why would God, why would God call one nation to destroy and drive out other nations. From our human perspective, here in the lower story, that seems very unjust. But when we understand the purposes of God and the justice of God, that's the explanation. So here what, here's what we see. The Lord gives Israel a land because of the wickedness of the people. All the way back at the time of Abraham. Here's what God said, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, the promised land, the land of Canaan, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So what God said was, I'm not giving the land now because the sins of the people have not reached their full measure. When they reach their full measure, you will be my instrument of justice. Because the world needs to understand that I am a just God. I am a just God. And so what God is doing, as he will do in the weeks ahead with other nations to Israel and Judah, to the Israelites, he is going to use other nations as an instrument of discipline upon them as well. But here's the second reason. And that is the Lord gives Israel the land because he wants to make himself known among the nations. He says in Isaiah 49.6, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved land of Israel. He says, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is also the call for the church. We are to be light in the world. Last night I loved it. We got to be light to so many wonderful people. Oh, I met so many great children and great parents that live in our community. We are to be light in our community. And we fulfill that when we live as a a people together according to the purposes of God. What a charge. What a call. The scripture of God is so relevant. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for all that you are doing, all that you have done. We pray that you would be honored, that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified in us and through us, Lord, in such a way that the world would be different because we have chosen to live by faith as a church together, united together in our love for you. God, show us where we are astray. Call us back to yourself. May we, arm in arm, hand in hand, may we May we walk together into the purpose that you have for us. May our knees grow calloused, Lord, as we pray against the powers and principalities of darkness that are so pervasive in every community in this world. Lord, may the people see the light, for the battle belongs to the Lord.